I mean, I'm not going to kick a cake out of my plate. You know, if it's there, I'm going to eat it. This could be it. And so like her and I. It was almost like the land was meant It was almost like all the stars aligned. It was telling you. And it was like, holy smokes. The universe was speaking to us. I mean, we're really like in the middle of South Tampa. Welcome to Tampa's Table, a culinary journey. My name is Jeff Halcom, Vice President of Marketing for the 1905 Family of Restaurants. Today we're talking agriculture, and my first guest is Nick Wishnatsky. Welcome. Oh, thanks for From having Wish me. Wish Farms out in Plant City. Plant City. M massive grower of all things berry. That's correct. Yes, we are based in Plant City, and um, we've been around for over 100 years now. So tell me the origin story. I know that goes back four generations. Yes. Um, your great-great-grandfather first came over from Russia. Is that correct? Yes, it's actually my great grandfather. Oh, I'm sorry. So no, that's fine. Um, he he emigrated here or immigrated here. Uh, he came 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 to America in 1904 and arrived in in Manhattan and started selling fruits and vegetables from push cart amongst other things. I, I believe he sold fish and all kinds of things. Um, and that was kind of the way that immigrants made made their living back then. And he he built that up into a fleet of push carts, and he met up with another. A peddler uh, named Daniel Nathel, and they they started a wholesale business together in uh, the old Washington Market in um, Lower Manhattan mm -hmm. in 1922, and um, and eventually he came to Florida to be closer to the the strawberry crop that he was purchasing um, from the farmers down here in Florida, and he would ship those up on the rail car up uh, to the northern markets to all his customers, and so he came down here in the the. I believe it was the early 30s, and he be made Lakeland and the Bay Area his permanent home, That's 1937. Awesome. So. Yeah, the thing about that, that story that got me when I read it in, there's a new book, The Wish Farms book that's out that uh, tells the whole story. Uh, it's a wonderful book. I like the fact that these are not exactly, uh, we're not dealing with avocados here. This is not grapefruit or, or hard citrus. This is uh, a very delicate very perishable. product, very yes. perishable. So it's got to get to wherever it's going. Um, and thinking about doing that by train, as opposed to say truck, is a big bet. It's it's wild how much the industry has changed over the years. Thankfully, uh, the the refrigeration needed to to keep these berries fresh, and the, to think that they were being shipped on rail cars and they would use you know, ice and different things like that to transport it. It's just amazing that they, you know, they had to get to where they were going as soon as possible. What is it about the soil and the conditions here that make it, um, well, ripe for <laughs> growing berries, especially strawberries? Plant City really does have a, an amazing richness in the soil. Um, and, you know, not being a scientist, I don't know exactly why, sure. but I mean, I could posit that, um, you know, it has to do with the the climate of this area, and especially in the the winter time. It's just a perfect time of year for berries, strawberries to be grown in this area, and um, and farmers have really relied on that that richness in the soil to really um, improve the crop. And just enough rain, just, just enough sunshine, just enough mm -hmm. temperature. Everything is correct. The soil is right, sandiness and whatnot. Um, cool and, the, and the strawberry growing season goes from when to when. We like to say it goes from Thanksgiving to Easter, so it's around um, November is when we start seeing the first trucks coming in with the berries. Um, we start planting a little before that in the, around September, 
um, to get the plants going. And then we don't start to see a major volume until, you know, December Mm -hmm. and then January and February is, you know, February, March is when you start to see the peak. Sure. Um, there are different little peaks within those, but um, yeah, and we can go as, as long as the weather kind of holds out, we're very much beholden to mother nature. Sure. Uh, we can go um, all the way past Easter sometimes in some seasons. Well, you gotta wait for hurricane season to be over. Yes. And then you gotta get the fields ready. Um, I know the summertime's kind of not even, not a necessarily a dead season, but it's just a preparation for the season season. True, yeah, it is the the ground is pretty um, um, it's fallow at that point. So uh, you know we we plant cover crops and different things like that to keep the nutrients right. in the soil, and then we till that into the soil once we're ready to start preparing the fields. So I grew up in this area in St. Pete specifically, and whenever we would go to Orlando, you know, to go to one of the parks or something. I would drive by uh, plants, drive through Plant City, and just seeing the strawberry rows to me, it's like it's like the circle of life. You know, you start yeah. to see a rhythm to it when you start to see the long black columns of vinyl being laid out, and then after a while, you start to see the plants come up out of the ground and the berries and everything. It's it's uh, it tells you where you live, right? You know? And there's yeah. something about strawberries that tells me that this is this is home. You know, and I think a lot of people have an emotional reaction to what do you see. Well, I see beautiful rows of strawberries, and it's very serene. It's very peaceful. Um, it's honestly being in this industry. It's a very um, rewarding industry to be in because we're part of the fabric of the community. We're growing berries that people get to eat and enjoy with their families, and it's it's it really is kind of a full circle thing because you know our family is bringing berries to your family, mm-hmm. and that's it's a very sacred. The sacred thing and the, the you know the thing in the book that that i found fascinating and i didn't realize this is that you talk about family and family growing um there was a period of time where the kids went to school in the summer right so that the they could help schools. pick and do the farming uh in the winter time yes before, so they went to summer <laughs> strawberry school <laughs> yes this is many years ago um before child labor laws yeah, as well uh, <laughs> which we all approve of absolutely um <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was just a different time. Actually, the size of your farm was dictated by the size of your family because your children were your pickers. So, you know, you had small growers, one and two, maybe three acres, mm-hmm. and they would. And there were thousands of these growers back then. Um, obviously, the industry has consolidated a lot since then, but there were many, many growers, and they would all take their berries to the auction market, right. and that's exactly where my great grandfather and my grandfather. Um, would bid on lots of produce and they would ship them to customers. It was, it's a very different way of doing it. Back well, then. and then eventually, you know, we talked about the early days of, of buying product, but then it's an entirely different business model to then get in the growing business. Right. And, and, you know, there's one thing about being a, a distributor or a wholesaler, running a farm is hard. You got skin in the game Yeah, and it's, uh, it's very hard. Um, farming was always difficult and it's continues to be. Um, but you know, many years before we were basically brokers and wholesalers, but we realized as we, you know, got into the eighties that we needed to have more surety of supply. And that's kind of why my dad decided to start, start our own farming operation. It's like every generation took a big bet. Yep. You know, um, and there was another great story. I think it predates your dad. Um, but 
when the truckers went on strike at one point. And that was his was first week. There, of, his first week. First week. <laughs> yeah, and and they had a hard time figuring out how to get the berries from you know the the, the distributor <laughs> to the to the people who would buy them up north and around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, the solution I thought was ingenious. My uh, grandfather came up with the idea. My grandfather Joe called him Strawberry Joe. Uh, he uh, he wanted to sell berries to the public. You know, open it up like get the get the press out here tell them what we're dealing with and you know put the word out right. that we're frantically trying to sell <laughs> berries and there was a headline it was kind of funny uh and this is what i think one of the stories in the book um frantic farmers <laughs> trying to sell berries and this little old lady comes up to my dad and my dad was kind of uh, handling the cash box and mm-hmm. doing the sales and uh she said excuse me son where can i find frantic farmers thinking it was a a company name that was the brand <laughs> i mean it really could have stuck sure. actually but uh now he said no that's that's us we're the we're the frantic farmers <laughs> and they unloaded a lot i mean that was the yes. great thing is that that, yeah. that idea like kept you afloat it did it did help it definitely bridged the gap. And I thought about I you recently when, with the news of possibly a trucker strike, I'm like, everything old is new again. What's going to happen, know. you know? <laughs> um, but, you know, it's just, uh, you have to be that inventive to stay in business sometimes. Um, so yeah, the, the business builds, you buy land, you start farming. Um, how did it grow? What were the, the factors that grew the business? Was it uh, international uh, growth or... Honestly, a lot of it had to do with um, a couple of things. We wanted to be we wanted to be a year-round supplier. That was our goal, and we also wanted to have a good brand. Mm-hmm. So those two things kind of dri- drove the growth. So we had to, you know, we obviously our headquarters are here in Plant City, but we can't just grow here if we want to be year-round suppliers. Sure. So we're we're in California, we're in South America. We grow blueberries all the way up and down the East Coast of British Columbia, and then back in South America. Um, so that, you know, that part of um, needing to find that supply was part of the growth. And then we continued that relationship with the customers and built a brand, um, Wish Farms, right. which we be, we switched our name from Wishnatsky and Nathel to Wishnatsky Farms and then, and then to Wish, Wish Farms. Right. Yeah. A little easier to remember, I think, than Wishnatsky Farms. We did a brand survey of 400 people, uh, the main shoppers in the household at who shopped at stores that we supplied mm-hmm. and only one person could name Wishnatsky Farms and they misspelled it. So we knew there was a opportunity there with Wish. Everyone called us Wish. We're going to Wish. We're going to take our berries to Wish. So it felt like a natural, sure. a natural um, transition. But then you added the Pixie. Yes, the Pixie is a big part of our brand. And, yeah. and actually her name's Misty, by the way. Uh, <laughs> she really inspires everything we do like our headquarters is very pixie inspired um we we do a lot of different pixie um themes with some of the branding that we do and some of the labels the secondary labels that we have so it's um it's a really fun family-friendly magical aspect of of our business and it's fun it's a lot of fun it's okay to be we fun like to have strawberries fun. You know. It's part of our culture. So when um, the strawberry festival is happening and you know the, the fair season is happening, mm-hmm. um, if for people who don't live in the Tampa Bay area, um, I can tell you that Plant City absolutely explodes with activity. Yeah. Um, lots of people have roadside stands mm-hmm. that sell strawberries, obviously, that they grow, but... 
they also sell um, strawberry shortcake. Oh, yeah. So the controversial question I'll hit you with is, do you like your strawberry shortcake with biscuit or with actual cake? This is not controversial to me. <laughs> so biscuit, 100% all the way. Okay, I need you to support that. Yeah. it. There's a crispiness to the outside. And oh, then you thought about it this. Needs this is to awesome. Be, oh, I think about this a little, <laughs> little more than I should, Jeff. <laughs> it's kind of scary. Um, it, it has to be a warm biscuit. Okay. So you, it's crispy on the outside, and then you have that soft, warm, biscuity Sorry, keep center. Going. Keep going. <clears throat> Excuse yes, me. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and you have to have fresh whipped cream with the with the it fresh needs berries. To be fluffy whipped cream. It needs yeah, to be like it has a contrast be between the whipped. syrupy and the sweet and the fresh with the berries and the cake. It's I a mean, very sacred Sorry, thing. biscuit. <laughs> um, I'm a I'm a biscuit man myself. It I'm glad feels to hear very it. southern. Yeah, but it also it feels like it's there. It can support. It's not a sponge like the cake is. Exactly, the cake is the easy way out. The biscuit mm -hmm. is the real deal. I, I think. mean, I'm not gonna kick a cake out of my <laughs> plate. You know, if it's there, I'm gonna eat it. But if I have the choice, right. I go biscuit. And if you've ever been to the Strawberry Festival, um, there are some really uh, high tech methods for delivering um, whipped cream. I mean, they look almost <laughs> like you're you're like spackling a car and like a paint job kind of thing. Um, you know, hydraulic, you know, comes out and everything. Yeah. Do you have another it's, way that you enjoy strawberries? Oh man. It, I mean, besides the natural, you know, pick them out of the sure. field. Um, honestly, I, I, I like smoothies a lot. So I, I make a, a morning smoothie and, and that just gets my day going. Cause it's, it's just pure deliciousness. Do you have a first strawberry memory? Oh my God. Well, I don't know if it's a specific memory but i have memories of my dad bringing home the op big open flats of uh, strawberries they used to be in the little green pint baskets and we always had fresh berries in the house during the strawberry season and i just remember you know sneaking downstairs and going in the fridge and <laughs> yeah and just going to town on those berries he brought so, his homework with him yeah okay. was, and there's an aroma too when you bring home a flat oh my and gosh. you leave it say on the counter overnight or something like that if you don't put it in the fridge you walk out and you're like oh this is one of the best smells i've ever had you know it's like it's, i'm not sure you, how you profile that aroma but it's just perfect yeah it's a it's a magical smell and you don't want to leave them out too long because sure. you want to keep them refrigerated i i <laughs> i try to get that out there all the time to okay. all of our consumers very important to keep berries refrigerated all the time but when you're about to enjoy them, take them out, let them sit out for 30 minutes to an hour, right. and then you cut, you'll start getting that smell going. And yeah, and I make preserves so with them, so I mean, I just mm. I can't get enough of them. Um, so, what does the future look like for the farm and also the strawberry industry? Because I know you do blueberries and you do other berries, blackberries. I right. learned from your book that blackberries are not a berry; they're a, a group of berries that happen to clump together. Yes, I, it, you, you schooled I, me. And they're red before they yeah. turn black. So yeah. it's really, it's kind of cool to go through a, a field and see all this sea of red and then you see some black and then it's like. A, it starts to come alive. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty awesome. So the future looks like what? Well, the future is bright. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a lot of challenges in our in our industry. Um, you know, we're always facing something. Um, but the key is innovation. Um, and that's something that we really pride ourselves in, um, trying to stay ahead of the, the curve on trends and, and different things like that. And I, I really think that if we focus on providing the best tasting berries, that we will have a bright future. Um, there's, a, there's people out there who think, well, we need to have 
best yielding and best, you know, all these things. And, and that's great. We want to have good yields and different things like that. But then you sacrifice a little bit on the taste side. And that's something that we really don't want to compromise on because at the end of the day, you want to have a good tasting berry. Sure. And, and that's what we're focused on. So, well, I think in the book that talks about uh, possibly moving to robotic picking in the future. I know that yeah. that's a very Jetsons-like thing to talk about, but you know, from a labor perspective, that's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. You know, the demographics are such that we're not going to have enough people to pick the crops we need to feed the world. Right. And it's it's just a matter of time. We, you know, my dad saw it. You know, 10, 12 years ago, there were fewer and fewer people showing up for work to to harvest the crop. Right. And he did some digging into it, and it's just a demographic thing that's, you know, the whole world (laughs) is going to be affected by it. So if we don't solve it through automation, berries are going to become a luxury item. Sure. And we don't want that to happen. We want everyone to be able to enjoy. And I started noticing over the past couple of years um, a pink berry. Oh, yeah. That started showing up in my grocery stores. Um, it's not a berry that didn't come to maturity. It's a specific <laughs> type of berry. Can yes. you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Well, we call it the pinkaboo pine berry. It is um, a uh, it's a hybrid of a Japanese white strawberry and a Florida red strawberry that was developed by the University of Florida. Mm-hmm. They call it the pearl. We call it the pinkaboo pine berry because that fits our it's brand, fun. of course. Sure. Um, and it is a really unique flavor. So it, it has less acidity than a red berry. So you get kind of tropical notes of um, pineapple sometimes. Each bite, each berry is a very different experience. It's really unique. And I recommend for everyone to try it because it's a nice addition to the to the fruit salad or to your morning routine. It's they're really, really tasty and kids love them too. So one of the other trends that I've noticed in the recent years is that local chefs have been starting to incorporate more local produce Mm -hmm. and more local ingredients in their dishes. And I'm wondering what you're seeing in terms of how they're including strawberries on their menus. I've seen quite a bit of it. I know, I I know that, um, you know, like Eulalie has their strawberry salad. Um, and they They also make strawberry beer as well. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just, it's part of the fabric of our community. So, you know, it, it, it's only natural that you would want to include this gem of a fruit that everyone loves into a recipe. And there's so many different avenues you can go with it mm-hmm. and get very creative. Um, you know, salad's an easy way to do it, but, you know, with beer and with other desserts and different things, uh, it really, it lends itself to so many different opportunities. And you can check out our website. We have lots of good recipes. Lots of recipes. Yeah. Over there. Yeah. Uh, Eulalie, uh, our brewmaster, uh, Tim Shackton, mm-hmm. came up with Honeymoon Lager, and basically he infuses the beer for a period of time with fresh cut Plant City strawberries. That's awesome. And then um, when it's time to serve, he serves in a tall Pilsner glass, and he purchases a plate. He, he purchases a, a plump red strawberry oh. on the rim, and they walk it out, and it, it might as well have a siren on it. People are like, <laughs> "I want that. What is that? You exactly. Know? Is that yeah. dessert? Is that beer? Is it both? You know." <laughs> um, but it, and the great part about it is, is that it doesn't make the beer overly sweet. It just gives it a, a depth of flavor, right? Um, and it just tastes like, like I said, it just tastes local and tastes like home. So, it's a um, beautiful thing. So I have to ask you a question that we've asked all of our guests, which is when you go home from your job in the food industry, what what kind of food do you eat for comfort food to kind of <laughs> draw the line between home and work? 
Mm. You make strawberries at home? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I mean, berries are always an easy, easy way because, you know, every time I, before the weekend hits, I try to go to the cooler and pick out <laughs> the nicest berries I could find in right. there because, you know, I, I like to take them home for myself, but I also like to give them out to neighbors and friends and stuff. And, um, and you get a berry and you yeah, get a berry. Yeah, I mean, that, you, you know, that's, that's, that's how I show love. <laughs> I give out berries. Um, that's but, a great way to show love. Uh, yeah. Think about it. But yeah, I mean, it sounds simple, but berries are just, they've always been a part of my life and I, I could just eat them all day long. I mean, and that's, that's that simple. I mean. That's, that's the truth. I mean, they're just um, so versatile and it's yeah. always a pleasant experience. It's not, I, I don't think you can eat a strawberry and be angry. I think that's a true statement. Yeah. I, I heard something that says you can't be angry and play the banjo. I don't equate <laughs> strawberries and banjos, but you understand the feeling. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thank you for being our guest today. It was yeah. great to finally meet you. It was an absolute pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Now we'll talk to Christina and Zach Alvarez of Le Roots Urban Farm. Christina and Zach Alvarez of Le Roots, Tampa's premium urban farm. Welcome. Thank Hello. you for having us. Thank you for having so us. So tell me what an urban farm is, because I don't know that everybody understands that. I, I, I think they have some idea, but the way you do it, can you describe what your operation is like? Absolutely. Want to take this one? Yeah. So urban farm to us is putting a really high quality commercial farm in the middle of a really dense populous area. Mm -hmm. And so Tampa we feel was you know something that could use a farm in the middle of a city that could provide jobs to the local community and also local sustainability for you know lettuce herbs and different things that uh, a lot of the stuff comes imported so we wanted to try to correct you know bringing more of a local sustainability and so urban farming was kind of where we landed with and the roots. urban comes from us growing hydroponically. Okay. So we grow in these vertical towers and we're able to grow three times faster than your normal in-soil farming. So that's also part of the appeal of the whole urban farm. I was gonna ask you about how it is you actually produce because from mm -hmm. what I understand, it's more sustainable mm -hmm. and certainly. it also has a higher yield. Is that correct? Yes, What makes that does. so productive? So, we did a lot of research when we started wanting to do the farm and create, you know, our brand. And so we landed on aeroponic towers. So what we found with aeroponic towers is that, as you mentioned, faster yields and it's way more affordable to run. Mm -hmm. So um, aeroponic being O2 and water at the same time mm -hmm. uh, is what creates that lush, fast yield on the product, which, you know, in an urban area, you need to be able to pump out volume at quality. And so and that's quickly and, and quickly. quickly. Mm -hmm. Speed is also a factor. Very oh, yeah. much so. So uh, what kind of crops are you growing? So currently we're growing a variety of greens and herbs. So we've got bib lettuce, we've got little gem lettuce, we've got kale, we've got romaine, we have different variations of romaine. Um, we're going to make in-house mixes, especially once we start um, selling to the public. Um, we've got variety of herbs, we've got parsley, we've got cilantro, basil has been a big, uh, big hit. Our basil is so 
lush and beautiful. Um, and then we're going to be trialing some other herbs and stuff. Um, we actually have one of our first clients we're very excited about. Um, they wanted to start trialing some purple basil. Mm. Um, they're a high-end restaurant. Um, I'm sure you guys are probably familiar. They are uh, Roca. Mm-hmm. We um, absolutely love them. We're big fans of the restaurant. So now working with them has been super fun and um, such a great opportunity. And so they wanted to start um, they wanted to have us start trialing some basil, some purple basil, excuse me. So it's gone really, really well. And we'll be posting some of those photos on our social media because it's just, it's so yeah, it's vibrant beautiful. and just purple and beautiful. Um, so it's funny because we had another chef come in a couple months ago and he gave us the 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 title Concierge Farmers. And Oh, we, I like that much better. Yes, we got to give a shout we, out to Chef Farrell yes, for we, that. Chef Farrell from Farrell Rooster. Was. Yeah, he's yes. the one that came and he was like, he brought his- Mitchell. He brought like 15 of his, his like whole staff front back a house. We invited them. Like a field trip. And they did a Super field fun. trip at our facility. And he was like, you guys are doing concierge farming. And we're like, we love that. That's yeah. Awesome. yeah. And he was like, you guys can run with that. Because we were like, what? That's so, that's like perfectly said. Because that's essentially what we That would we, be my first tattoo if I were create, in your business. Right? I'm a concierge <laughs> farmer. Like right thug, across my chest. Like thug life, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and we have uh, Chef Bryce from Roca as a guest on our show. And also Chef Farrell Alvarez as well. So, you know. When I was covering food for the Tampa Tribune, uh, I guess it was about 10 years ago was really when the farms started connecting to the restaurants. And it was more of a distribution issue. You had a lot of farms down in Mayaca and down in Sarasota Manatee area. They were producing great things, but they were doing it industrially to send it other places. Mm -hmm. The idea of you being right in the middle of all the restaurants that are in Tampa, first of all, makes it convenient. But what you're describing is what I saw, which is once they finally started connecting the dots, you had chefs coming to growers and saying, I would really love to have purple basil. I would really love to have this or that so I can have a little bit of distinction on the plate. Uh, I'm thrilled to hear that they're coming to you because that means that they're uh, paying so much attention to detail oh, yeah. that that they want to have that signature on uh, from what you do. Um, and so for people who, you talked about vertical farming, um, I'm going to try and describe it in a rudimentary way, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. So there's a long pole, mm-hmm. that's a start, mm-hmm. help with the vertical, and then there are these white pots that are spaced out from each other, that's right. and they all have like little four corners of nodules in them, that's right. and then they kind of are alternated so that they flow, the water flows from one to another so that the water gets to each of the pots but isn't wasted. Yeah, and there are drip lines that kind of run to it that irrigate it and things. What have I missed in the description? Yeah, no, Correct. that's very good that's, description. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty spot on. Okay. So you know what we tried to focus on was trying to use as much mother nature and not try to use as much power. Mm-hmm. Um, really looking at the eco side of of everything. So like our facility, all our towers, as you explained, they have reservoir pots with with water on them. They pump water to the top of the tower. It drips down. Um, that watering cycle happens periodically throughout the day, um, and then we also, as part of kind of our you know strategic planning of the business, we also catch all of our rainwater. So all of our rainwater we catch in our gutters. We route it to a a, a big um, pump in the back of the building, and we use that water and circulating it through our water wall, which keeps our cooling of our plants. Um, and then the water in the pots of our growing towers lasts for about 
three to six months, depending on, you know, what you're growing, that how dirty it gets. But uh, everything is recycled water. And I mean, our water bill is, you know, super low at what we think to what we hear, you know, other farms are, you know, getting in usage and electricity. We run our whole greenhouse off of single phase power, which is what a house uses. So, and we're 4,000 square feet. So farming's not hard enough. You're doing like three-dimensional chess here, but it sounds like it's the natural way to go. I, you know, ver most of the vertical farming that I've seen or I've I've, I've witnessed um, has all been outdoors, where there's so much evaporation. You're doing it indoors. I imagine that's a huge, huge advantage for you. Yeah, no lights either. Definitely. So we're in a greenhouse, commercial greenhouse building, Mother Nature light. So we're like. We always say we're like 90% mother nature. We're exploring the idea of solar panels to get like totally sustainable sure. on, on, you know, mother nature. But for right now, you know, you kind of need the electrical grid and, you know, um, right. you know, the natural sunlight here in Florida is awesome. So, so the name of your company is lay roots. Yeah. Um, speaking of roots, you're both from Tampa. Yes. yes. Um, you've lived here long enough to know that this is not a, um, a common thing. No. no. Um, what, I mean, you have a culinary background, you've been in business. What mm -hmm. brought you to farming? Because farming is hard. It is hard. Certainly. It is hard. Um, so I do have a culinary background, right. but before culinary, I come from a fourth generation family business in cigars. So we can I, say the name. Yeah. Arturo Fuentes Cigars. Sure. Yes. Um, <laughs> that is my family business. I'm the fourth generation. Very proud of it. I was born in Tampa, but I was raised in the Dominican Republic because that's where we grow, manufacture and produce our tobacco. Mm -hmm. So I have a farming background in this, you know, in, in a small way. So it kind of, you know, growing up in that life, I feel like I've been able to translate it to our business. Um, and then, of course, the culinary background. I moved to New York, went to culinary school, worked in restaurants, and I also worked um, food media on TV and all that good stuff. So I feel like I'm kind of the creative mm -hmm. in this business. And then he's the business mind because he's got a brilliant business mind. Yes, he's my husband. So I, I'm a little biased, but he is brilliant. Sure. And so we're kind of like the yin and the yang to the farming business. Um, and we feel like our backgrounds have been able to translate, as I mentioned, into our business. Yes, it's hard. But with my background and my history and his background, we've been able to put our heads together and make it work. So we're really excited about, you know, we're just kicking off. We have an official launched yet. We just started working um, sure. with local restaurants. We're very excited about. Um, and then, of course, supplying our product to the community is what we're most excited about yeah, because sure. we've had so much traction on social media of people asking, when are you opening? We're so excited. We've even had people reach out wanting to work with us. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's just really cool. Um, the awesome response that we've gotten from the community, which the is what is it's there. all about. The thirst is there. The thirst is there. Or which I is... guess the hunger would be better this time. But, yeah, um, I guess. But either way, either it way, works. It works. <laughs> well, and, and you know, the, there's been so many parts of Tampa's food culture that have all risen very quickly. And I, I kind of guess that's what I was getting at when talking about how you're from here, mm -hmm. is that you've seen it, what it was and how it's transformed. Definitely. And now you're having restaurants, including Roca and Rooster, as you mentioned, in, in terms of of thinking higher end, um, it seems like it's, for, here we go again, a bad pun, a growth industry because so many restaurants are just popping up out of everywhere. Um, what do you see for the future of your business? I mean, do you see more and more event, um, customers like this? or 
Oh, definitely. Yeah, well, I think that's kind of the, the, the core to, you know, getting it out to the immediate local, you know, community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we are targeting premium groups. Um, we are, a, we want to be the premium provider in the marketplace. We do not look at ourselves as a another run in the produce business. We are looking for that premium brand um, as her family's been in the premium cigar business. We have over a hundred years of business success in her family to look at and gear us to the future of how you create a company sure. for over a hundred years. And so that's what we're looking to do. And as far as, you know, the future of Lay Roots, um, you know, we want to continue to expand in our premium restaurant space. Um, we also really are eager to get out to the public, direct to the consumer. Mm-hmm. At our farm right next door, we have a market where we'll be selling everything to you know the local public. Um, and then you know from there, we've had a lot of different directions, uh, volume opportunities, you know, to uh, really get out to the masses fast um, that we're starting to explore. And then potentially start expanding this in every hot urban city that needs this, which every hot city does need, um, and create that urban farm that's supplying the immediate, mm-hmm. you know, surroundings and the immediate consumer, and start bringing more jobs to you know the U.S. Our main thing is always remaining true to what our motto is: quality over quantity. So that's something that I learned through my family uh, over 100 years in business. They've always remained true to that, where quality never suffers. We can grow exponentially, which they have. And I'm so grateful to be a part of my family's business. But one thing that I do admire is that they never sacrifice quality. Quality has always remained at the forefront of their minds. So as we grow and expand, you know, he has such a vision for our business. But I'm always saying, like, we got to stay true to our, which he's on board with, of course. But quality over quantity as long as the quality remains the same and we always stay true to that sky's the limit it's been a recurring theme in these podcasts mm. which quality. is you can grow as much as you want but if it's garbage nobody's going to buy it exactly what have you achieved um, absolutely you know and the other thing about it that strikes me is knowing florida's growing seasons mm. traditionally right. you have between say i don't know right around september october when Strawberry you plant season. and you harvest probably <laughs> at the end of at best April, mm-hmm. you have a twenty you have a twelve month model. And that's right. That's a massive advantage as well. Huge. I mean, there's a lot of times where chefs pledge to do local farming, uh, you know, feature for local farming on their plates, and then they have to go find other sources for a period of time because you can't get it. Now they can get it from you. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's where our produce and leafy greens year round. Um, we just got you know, an opportunity to potentially get into the specialty strawberry uh, product. Um, as you mentioned, those are your standard seasons with Plant City. But what we can do in our environment, our greenhouse, is extend that window right. on the front end and on the back end. And we also, our product or our, you know, our equipment grows two, three times more a traditional in-soil farmer. So we yield a lot more. And, you know, so that way we could, you know, continue to we keep yield the, more and faster, yeah, which again quality, is part of so. the appeal and of course, quality product, which is Absolutely. the most important thing. Well, and the fact that you're doing it um, in the middle of South Tampa, yeah. which not everybody uh, associates with agrarian nature, yeah. Correct. Um, but there was a point in the history where, you know, there were docks that came off of 
um, you know, the coastline right there on, on the bay that there were fishermen and anglers and all kinds of things. And there's been agriculture there generations ago, but this sort of brings it back. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you pick that location in particular? <laughs> Great question. Yeah. Well, yeah. so we, um, so Zach and I have a family business. We have a family office sure. that we, we've worked with um, different properties in Tampa where we've invested in real estate. And that's something that we've gotten into since we moved back from New York. Sure. Um, so we we purchased this parcel of land in South Tampa and we had a different vision for it. We were like, what can we do with this great piece of property and n- not just sell it off, but keep it um, and do something really cool for the community. And that's really how it came about. Because again, we have a family office of investments and this land we already owned. And we said, again, what can we do that would be cool for Tampa? Well, the the, the key is like, you know, it's real estate, but you also need the right science mm-hmm. of orientation, right. which we've learned as you grow, you need, you know, a north-south orientation. You need east-west for sunlight. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as we were exploring what to do, we came across like, let's do what we've always wanted to do. We want to do new age farming, you know, in New York. You know, they did, used to do this on rooftops, which mm-hmm. we can do and may potentially explore. Sure. Um, and so, but it was just, you know, the ability to put something. And so we tested kind of like, all the things and we had a you know consultant come that does farming with this stuff and they were like man you're like orientation is perfect you got the east west like this this could be it and so it like her and like I, the land was meant it was almost this, like all the stars honestly. aligned it was yeah. telling you. And, and it was yeah, like holy smokes the and universe like, was speaking i to mean us. And we're really <laughs> like in the middle of south tampa mm-hmm. so like we're our back our neighbors of a house townhomes i mean we're surrounded by residential Mm-hmm. And so they're like, and so we, we, you know, rolled the dice and said, let's, let's go for it. So, so we've yeah. been asking, uh, chefs specifically when they come on, uh, what is it that they cook for themselves when they're at home? Cause everybody has this fantasy about, uh, how chefs live and how restaurateurs live. Yeah. And, uh, it's not necessarily analogous. Do you, do you grow anything at home? We, so (laughs) it's funny. Someone once told us, man, when you guys are in, you're all in, which is true because we're currently renting a home. So we don't, because we're building another home. So we, we bought a piece of property, moved back from New York city and we outgrew the house because we have a new baby. Um, so as if you don't have enough going on. Exactly. So yes, right. New baby, new business, new house. So currently we're living in a a rental, but we do have plans to do our own thing at home because we love the idea of just being able to walk outside kind of like you and your wife Mm -hmm. and just pick, from what you've grown and yeah. instead of going to the store and, you know, and I'm not knocking grocery stores, but no, you know, I, always my background is, you know, I'm a chef and I believe in quality. And when I go to the store, sometimes I'm getting, you know, produce and things that are just mm-hmm. not of quality and I'm paying, I'm paying an arm and a leg for it. Um, so for us, that's the eventual, once we're in our new house, we want to definitely have our own thing going on. But you know what? At the same time, it's nice. We could just go over to lay roots and just do go. a little pluck, pluck <laughs> and head home and make some dinner. You're going to bring your work so, home with you. I get a, it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's definitely part of the appeal. Yeah. There's nothing like I'll be making a recipe and it'll call for something. And I'll say to my wife, Grace, I'll say, um, do you have this? She's like, yeah, you want some right now? I said, yeah, go on. Yeah. And she'd come back with either basil or thyme or malinga, whatever it is that she's it. growing. And it just makes it food taste better. Um, speaking of flavors, mm-hmm. do you have a favorite Tampa flavor? Oh, 
Man, that is that love is cigars. Love, I gotta say, <laughs> okay. I caught you there. Yeah, you did. Okay. That, that would have been it's that a food been, podcast, that not a cigar been, podcast. You're right. <laughs> I mean, we we do like the 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 good things in life. We always say, "Lo bueno, lo bueno." Our grandfather, you say, "What's good is good." Mm-hmm. We love everything that's good, but we are also very humble Tampa people, and mm-hmm. West Tampa is like our heart of of like where we kind of both or you know spent a lot of time well. and grew up, mm-hmm. and we own real estate there and. Love Cuban food. Love, love the Cuban food. Love the pork. Love the yeah. you know all those all those. I was gonna say a good of, pork sandwich. Mm, yeah, with some sandwich. with sautéed onions and some melted moho cheese. Some mojo. Yeah, I was gonna say mojo pork, but I was like, man, is that so like cliche? But it's true. <laughs> it's, a, it's not a cliche if it's right. <laughs> it's so true. Oh, yeah. That is like one of my weaknesses is a good mojo pork. We actually just had my son's first birthday party, and our family, our uh, my husband's side of the family um, is in the catering business, catering mm. by the family. And we obviously want to support them. So I ha- I said, Theo, Steve, can you please do your mojo pork? <laughs> yeah, like, man. that's all I want. And everything else can go around the mojo pork, but we got to yeah. have your mojo pork. So baby's, I guess that would first be my- mojo, Baby's know? first mojo. I love it. Exactly. So Here, I would say that's probably- yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> Oh, God. Really Actually, we did. <laughs> We were, that's exactly what happened. That's actually exactly what happened. He had a cigar, plastic, the cellophane was on, but he had a yeah, cigar. Had he cigar. was holding a cigar on the phone and he put a cigar in his mouth and I was like, okay, he's starting young, if real you, young. If you tell me that the baby's name is Opusex, then we have a problem. But no, that's not true. <laughs> no. Um, so obviously the future is you have, you have uh, Le Roots takes hold and, and maybe you expand a little bit. What do you see for the culinary future of Tampa? Mm. I see Tampa. I mean, Tampa has grown exponentially, period. But the restaurant scene, the food scene is something to be. I, I'm so proud of my hometown. Again, coming from a city like New York, um, living there for years, we were in the mecca of food. True. And it was I remember when we first moved back, I was like, I was a little bit depressed because I said, man, I'm going to miss just walking outside and saying, you know what, let's just not pick. A, let's just walk in someplace and majority of the time, I mean, 99% of the time, you had a great meal. Mm -hmm. Um, So I remember feeling a little bit like, oh, coming back to Tampa, like, where are these good restaurants? And within the last, I mean, we've been back for about five years. I mean, it's unbelievable well, within the how last Tampa five has years, grown. Last time we put out the the uh, Tampa's Table Cookbook was right. five years ago. And one of the reasons that we're we're doing another version of it, another edition of it, is because so much has so changed. So many restaurants, yeah. And there's um, so many restaurants that can, you know, provide, you know, great recipes to the sure, cookbook. I mean, sure. there's so much more variety now. Um, so I think Tampa's only going to, I mean, it, the trajectory is only up for Tampa. And, you know, we've got Water Street. I mean, all the restaurants down there, it's like, it's unbelievable. Yeah, and then now the ha- Michelin star well, is in Tampa. Hello, thank you. Visit Tampa. Think about, um, think about providing um, vegetation for a Michelin star restaurant. Well, I mean, that's what you're going to be doing for Roca. That's what we're yeah. doing, yeah. and we're so proud yeah. of that. That's um, a big thing to be able to claim. Well, Amen. another good thing too that we've you know been exploring. One of our good friends runs the Florida Aquarium, and yes. he. We're actually in conversations right now about actually feeding all of the the animals. So. Um, we're like in the talks of like talking about like how we could structure something cool. That's like Michelin star lettuce gets fed to the turtles, which yeah. is a reality. Like that's probably going to happen by next month. So we're, you know, we're, we're excited because we're not just like, we're trying to make an impact. You know, we want to make an impact, you know, with what our business, it's not just about a sale, um, you know, worrying about the, you know, that good will come when you do good. Sure. And, and that's something that we've learned from her family. I mean, you just keep your head down, focus, you know, and really try to help 
not only other businesses, people, but the community. I mean, you know, and like to be able to feed the animals is something we never thought of. And like, that's, that's going to be a reality, you know, very soon. So we're, we're super excited about all the future that has to happen. Absolutely. And on our website, you know, we say like, we're all in this together, Mm -hmm. you know, and in a, in a world where things sometimes feel so divided, Mm -hmm. um, for us, we really love the idea of bringing our community, even again on a small scale now, mm-hmm. and then one day, you know, maybe grow, um, you know, into other urban areas. But right now, it's about bringing Tampa and the community together in this way. Again, working with, you know, restaurants and the community and the aquarium, all that kind of stuff is just, it's all for, for us, it's, it's, more important to feel like there's community and there's unity um, with what we're trying to do. I so that. I love the idea of manatees munching on me too. Hydroponic. It's like hydroponic goes to aquatic. They've never know? eaten right? such good romaine yeah, exactly. ever. I know. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna have a manatee going. I, I could go for some more of that, please. Yeah, right. I love it. That's <laughs> well, thanks awesome. for being our guest today. Thanks Thank you so much us. for having us. This has been super fun. I'm thrilled to talk to you. Now keep an eye out for other episodes of Tampa's Table, A Culinary Journey on YouTube and anywhere you can find podcasts. Thank you for joining us.